It is our privilege to bring to you the following message, supported by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. This message was recorded during our normal Sunday morning service times. Pastor Rick Foster is serving as our interim senior pastor here at Rancho Baptist Church. And as this month of February begins, Pastor Rick begins a new series in the book of Mark entitled Experiencing Jesus. Today is part one in a sermon that he's entitled Walk into the Wilderness. Let's join Rick now in his study. Here's Rick. Who likes taking road trips? Okay. Now some of you are thinking in your minds, well, depends. I can accept that. Depends. Yeah, it depends. Uh, Depends on who's going to be in the vehicle with you. There are certain road trips you would not want to take with certain individuals. I understand that. It also depends on where you're going. Uh, you may have no desire to end up there. That's true. That, so that depends. And it could also be how fast you're going. You know, leave at 10 o'clock at night, drive all night. That is not a fun road trip, is it? But let's just assume for a moment the pace is leisurely. Well, if that's the case, then all kinds of good things begin to happen. You get to enjoy the landscape uh, of our country uh, as, you, as you drive through it. You have the opportunity maybe to pull off at some scenic vistas and just take in the glory of all that God has created. You get to stop at a historical marker and figure out who did what in 18, who knows when, uh, that makes that spot famous. You know, some road trips like that. Okay, now that's good. That's a good kind of one. And so this morning, I want to invite you on a good road trip. I want you to go on a road trip with me. Now, for some of you here this morning, the route is familiar. But I also know for some of you here this morning, you've heard about it, but you've never taken it. My hope this morning is also that for those who choose to go, it will be a life-changing trip in the sense that none of us will ever be the same. You know from your Bibles that there are four distinct accounts of the life of Jesus that tell us things, tell us what he said, tells us what he did. Four different authors from their own unique perspectives with their own unique personalities tell us about Jesus Christ. And so they wrote down what they saw with their eyes, they wrote down what they heard with their ears so that we can experience Jesus just like they did. In fact, one of those four authors explained his purpose for what he wrote down with the following. He said, from the very first day, we were there taking it all in. We heard with our own ears. We saw it with our own eyes. We verified it with our own hands. The word of life appeared right before our eyes. We saw it happen. And now we're telling you, in the most sober prose, that what we witnessed was incredibly this. The infinite life of God himself took shape before us. We saw it. We heard it. And now we're telling you so that you can experience it along with us, this experience of communion with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And our motive for writing is simply this. We want you to enjoy this too. That's why we've got the four Gospels. So in these coming Sunday mornings together, we're going to go on a road trip to get to know the real Jesus. Now some of you are thinking, wait a minute, whoa, why are you making the distinction, Rick, of the real Jesus? 
Because I understand in a setting like this, there is this wide spectrum of understanding and knowledge about who Jesus really is. See, for some of you here this morning, you're coming from a void. You were not raised in a family where maybe being in church regularly was the norm. You were not raised in a family where sitting around the dinner table and talking about spiritual things ever occurred. So your background, your education, and your choices up to this point have left you with almost no information about who Jesus really is. I'm not being critical. That's just your background. It's a void. But some of you here are are coming more from a vague sense about Jesus. Vague meaning you've listened to rumors, you've listened to speculations by other people and what they think about Jesus. And maybe when you were a kid, you attended vacation Bible school somewhere, but that was long ago and that was far away. And since then, you've never done any firsthand investigation on your own. So you're kind of got this vague sense of him. Others this morning, you're here and your knowledge of Jesus has been vandalized. Vandalized in the sense that forms of religion have almost covered up the real Jesus uh, as others have tried to make him a poster child for their political, their social, their economic, or their controlling agendas. So rituals and rules have created this fog, so it's really hard to see who, the, who Jesus really is. On our road trip, I would like to let Mark and his account of the life of Jesus lead us to a vivid experience of him. I want us to come to know intimately how Jesus is playful, how he is cunning, how he is fierce, how he is impatient with everything that's religious, He's kind, he's creative, he's, he's even funny. And you know what? When we get to know him like that, we can enter into a relationship with him. Because do you realize you can't have a relationship with an idea? You can't have a relationship with a philosophy. You can't have a relation. There's no, there's no intimacy possible with theories. I mean, it's been, it's been observed by someone that when we recover the humanity of Jesus... It helps us find him in the messy parts of our humanity. And by, my, by the way, my friends, that is incredibly good news. So it should come as no surprise that that's where Mark starts. Mark starts his account of the life of Jesus and tells us what we're going to learn and experience in Jesus is the gospel. Look at Mark chapter 1. Verse 1, he says, in the beginning of the gospel. And you, most of you know that word gospel literally means significantly good news. So what Mark is going to give us in the following, the, what he writes, as we will uncover week by week, he's not giving us a collection of good instructions. He is not describing a good idea. Mark is not going to write, he's not written down for us a bunch of good advice. This is good news, and good news is intended to thrill us and to change us. And the first hint of this incredibly good news that Mark gives us is in Jesus' identity. Look at the titles in Mark 1.1 that are given to us about him. In the beginning of the gospel of first 
Jesus. That name means the salvation of Yahweh, literally the salvation of God. Not just Jesus. Second is Christ. The Christ is the name that means the divinely anointed one. In other words, God's hand was on him in a special way. And then third, he was the son of God. That, that name, that, that title points to Jesus' unique relationship with God the Father. So take all three of those together, put, put them into one. What do we have? Mark is declaring from the very get-go that Jesus was a man anointed by God as his special agent to bring salvation and at the same time of not only being a man, he's also divine. This is God's son. He is both God and man at the very same time. Okay, so here's the crucial question. Is that true? Is this the real Jesus? How can I know what Mark claims about Jesus is reliable and not a bunch of hogwash? Well, the proof will be in the unfolding story of good news that Mark is going to give us. See, Mark is going to describe what Jesus said, what Jesus did, and then let us make up our own minds. And he's got a specific route for us to travel. In the opening chapters of Mark, he's first is going to want us to experience Jesus. He's going to give us a front row seat as if we were there when it happened to hear it and see it for ourselves. After that, then he invites us to follow Jesus, starting about chapter 4 all the way up to about chapter 9. And if we experience Jesus and follow Jesus, then ultimately he wants us to come to the point where we'll trust Jesus. That starts from 10 to the rest of the book. So in these opening chapters, in these opening weeks together, what we are going to do is experience Jesus as if we had been there ourselves. So how does Mark begin? Well, as we head down the road on this road trip, Mark wants us to first of all know that the good news involves a plan. In other words, the life of Jesus is not some random event in history. Rather, God has been planning His coming even before history ever began. In fact, the first stage of the good news was predicted well in advance, and the plan involves a messenger. Look at verse 2. Mark says, As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. Now that opening there in verse 2, that quote is from the Old Testament book of Malachi, chapter 3, the prophet. He's talking about the scroll of Isaiah. The, this, the, the long scroll, Isaiah the prophet was in it first, but then eventually it got to Malachi. So he's talking about the title of the scroll. In the scroll of Isaiah, we have this, this quote from Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, written 450 years before Mark wrote this. God had planned all along to have a messenger come just before Jesus would show up. Okay, so why is a messenger necessary? Well, look at the text. The messenger's role was to prepare, literally to get things ready. And we'll see this in just a moment. But the messenger was preparing people. He wasn't preparing a table. He wasn't preparing a room. He was preparing people. 
See, in the Roman culture of that day, when an important person was going to arrive in a certain town, they would send a herald, a messenger ahead of them who would walk the streets of the town and shout out the good news about how this important person was going to, say, come tomorrow. And so what that would do would build in the community a sense of expectation. The herald would come ahead of time to make sure that nobody missed this important person that was going to be arriving in your community. Now, the plan of God included something more, too. It's obvious, but let's not miss that the messenger announces a message. That's in verse 3. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. The message, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Now, verse 3 changes and quotes from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, which was written 700 years before Mark wrote this down. And there's two very important characteristics about the message that we need to notice. First, the message is going to come out of the wilderness. It wasn't going to arrive through any other normal media outlets. So God's intentions and plans were not going to be announced from behind a pulpit. It was not going to be a press release from some religious institution. It wasn't going to show up as a news feed on your tablet or phone. It wasn't going to be the lead story on the evening news. Rather, the news of what God was up to was going to come from the strange, unusual, and unpredictable direction of the wilderness. And this is going to take people off guard. We'll come back to this in just a moment. But let's consider the second important characteristic of the message in verse 3. And that is the message asked those who heard it to get themselves ready. Notice the repetition of the word prepare here. Now think about it carefully. The messenger's preparation was to build anticipation. Those that heard the message here had to prepare themselves. In other words, something had to change if they were going to receive this message and this person that was behind it. For for example, um, I don't know if, if in your television watching you go to NBC uh, at, at all, but if you do, you notice over the last weeks, uh, they've been telling us, telling us in advance that the 2018 Winter Olympics from South Korea are, are, are coming. They're announcing it so that our anticipation will grow. They're announcing it so that we'll be prepared. How? We'll adjust our lifestyle to watch NBC. But think about this. For the athletes who are going to compete, their preparation is different than ours. But they still had to prepare. They've been training for years, many of them. Their preparation was to maybe increase their physical strength, their physical endurance, their finesse within their specific They've honed their skills over years so they literally can be the best and peak for the Olympics. They altered their diet. They altered their exercise, their schedule, their education, their family relationships. They made choices to get ready, to be prepared. In fact, pretty much everything in their lives had to change if they were going to be prepared to compete at the Olympic Games. 
And so the good news that Mark wants us to hear is that God is up to something. He's been planning something for a really long, long time, and he doesn't want us to miss the opportunity, the opportunity to experience Jesus. But for that to happen, I've got to get prepared. I've got to get ready. How? What do these Old Testament prophecies reveal about the way in which the plan of God can touch my life? Well, the good news involves a plan. We've already seen that in verse 1 to 3. Now notice, as God always does, the good news involves a man. Do you realize that God always moves through people? I mean, think about it. God could miraculously put billboards up at the intersections that you go through uh, to, to read what he wants you to know. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't write his message in the sky with his finger. He could do that, but he doesn't. He could break into your favorite television show with a, with a video clip introducing himself. He could text you if he wanted to. He doesn't do any of those things. Instead, his plans always work through people. And in this case, it was through a man called John. We can see that in verse 4. John was the predicted messenger who announced a predicted message. And there are three powerful parts to John's message that will help us, even today, on our road trip, get ready for experiencing Jesus. And by the way, these three parts, they all work kind of together with each other. What are they? Well, first, John's message today calls us to an uncomfortable situation. Look at the start of verse 4 and the start of verse 5. So John appeared baptizing in the wilderness. Stop there. Go to, now go to the start of verse 5. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him. Okay, so John the Baptist, that's what we call him now, was called people of his day to come out into the wilderness. My friends, likewise, coming out into the wilderness is essential if we want to experience Jesus too. I mean, just think what that word wilderness means. It, it's talking about a wild area. It's talking about rough country. In the wilderness, conditions are harsh, even dangerous in some places. Wilderness, that's primitive, it's untamed, it's remote, it's the unknown. When we go out into the wilderness, we don't see anything man has made, we only see that which God has made. If I'm going to experience Jesus in this generation, if I'm going to understand him for who he really is, I've got to be willing to venture out of my comfort zone. I've got to be willing to venture out of this life that I have made with my busy schedule, my agenda, my controlling, self-focused pursuits, and my need for security. I've got to go out into the wilderness. I've got to leave some of that behind if I'm going to really experience Jesus. But to venture out into the wilderness and to willingly enter into an environment that's unsettling and, and strange, folks, that's unnerving because I'm leaving behind the things I typically depend upon that I've got perfectly in place and support me. 
But by the way, did you know that the invitation to go out into the wilderness like this is described, has been, been described years in advance again? Hosea chapter 2, verse 14, the prophet speaks for God and says of his people, Therefore, behold, I will allure her, bring her into the wilderness, and speak tenderly to her. Being in the wilderness and choosing to go out there will do wonderful things for us. It'll help us slow down. It'll help us to really listen. It'll help us to really see and to realize I'm not defined by what I do. To come out into the wilderness is to hear from God and to find the life you've always wanted to find. See, now, in Mark 1, when John the Baptist was there, people literally got up, left town, went out into the wilderness where he was. For us, the call is to, is to go where it's uncomfortable for us. That may mean we're going to have to evaluate our lives with a candid honesty that we rarely choose. It could mean to open a Bible maybe for, for the first time in a long time, and to seriously consider what these words here are God's words, and they're for me. That's uncomfortable. Maybe some of you are here this morning in, in this very room, and this is a wilderness-like experience for you to be here, because being in this place is kind of wild, it's kind of weird, uh, it's kind of unnerving, because you're being asked to think about things that you have never really ever considered before. If we're going to experience Jesus, it will ask us to respond to the call to place ourselves in an uncomfortable situation. Which leads us then to the second part of the message, of John's message. Notice that it also calls us to an unsettling preparation. Let's finish now verse 4 and verse 5. Verse 4, so John appeared baptizing in the wilderness. How does the rest of the verse go? proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Verse 5, And so all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him. Here's the rest of that verse. And were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So, link verse 3 with the prophecies of what God is up to, now with the last part of verse 4 and verse 5. We are called to prepare ourselves how? Well, how did John ask people to prepare themselves? To repent of their sins? Ooh. See, there's the unsettling preparation. To face something that's deep inside that we don't like to acknowledge, that we don't really like to face. To experience Jesus is not about getting mentally prepared. It's not about getting emotionally prepared. Our heart has got to get prepared. That's the key to experiencing the real Jesus. It's what's going on at the heart level. My heart, John says, if I'm going to be prepared to experience Jesus, has got to repent. That repentance, that word or that idea means I've got to face the fact that something is broken inside me. It needs desperately to be healed. Repentance is realizing I'm headed in the wrong direction. I need to turn 180 degrees and head back towards God. 
I realize that my gray hair gives me away fine. Um, but there was a song that came out a number of years ago now that I still go back to that speaks to what John the Baptist is asking us, this unsettling preparation. I keep trying to find a life on my own apart from you. I'm the king of excuses. I've got one for every selfish thing I do. The disease of self runs through my blood. It's a cancer fatal to my soul. And every attempt on my behalf has failed to bring this sickness under control. Tell me, what's going on inside me? I despise my own behavior. This only serves to confirm my suspicions that I'm still a man in need of a Savior. My friends, don't underestimate the difficulty of this or the crucial role that this plays. If we're going to experience Jesus for who he really is, We have got to face this unsettling preparation. It's vital. Why? Well, Isaiah 59, 2 describes why. That your sinful acts have alienated you from your God. Your sins have caused him to reject you and not listen to your prayers. Or James chapter 2 tells us, Come near to God and he will come near to you. Great! But wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. See, there's the heart issue. And I realize it is not a popular subject in our culture today. And I recognize it's not even a popular subject in many churches in America these days. But please, make no mistake, a radical facing of how we are so often driven and consumed by our self-centeredness is part of the journey towards experiencing the real Jesus. We've got to face that at a heart level. Can I just be really candid? Oftentimes the key issue is my pride. And I say that my because I deal with this. It's our pride. A pride that says, I don't need Jesus. That's one side of it. Some of you, that may be where you are this morning. But the other side of pride is, I already know what I need to know about Jesus. We need to repent. If that's where we are, ask God to forgive us. And can I suggest that in the coming weeks, as we're on this road trip, that as you approach Sunday morning, that your prayer is going to be what my prayer is, and that is, Lord, would you help me to see Jesus for who he really is? Pray that every week. Which brings us to the third powerful part of John's message. What have we seen so far? Well, first, we're called to an uncomfortable situation. Second, we're to engage in an unsettling preparation Now look at third, what John says from verse 6 down to verse 8. He calls us to an an uncommon person. Verse 6. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. I've seen people like that here in Southern California. Um, And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, 
but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Okay, what is the reaction of people to messengers? Depends. If you don't like the message, we tend to kill the messenger, don't we? If we like the message, we tend to idolize the messenger. And I'm sure John doesn't want to be killed, but on the other hand, neither does he want to distract from the message that he is delivering nor the, the one who's coming after him. He knows he's only the forerunner. He's the herald. He's asking people to get themselves ready for the big show. John knows he himself, I'm just the opening act. And what John wants for us in this room is to get ready to experience Jesus and notice in three ways. And Mark is going to keep popping these three up at us all through the coming chapters. Notice, first of all, verse 7, John says, He is mightier than I. Mark will over and over again show us how Jesus is going to demonstrate His incredible authority. Watch for it. Makes Him uncommon. What's the second one? Look at verse 7. John says, I am not even worthy to stoop down and touch his sandal. What is Mark going to do? Mark is going to show us over and over how Jesus has unparalleled honor. Third, verse 8. John says, he's going to come baptize you with the Holy Spirit. See, John recognized, yeah, I baptize people, but that's only an external drenching of, of water, whereas Jesus is going to move inside of us by the drenching of God's Holy Spirit in our lives, so he's going to accomplish life change, the life change that we just desperately want. And again, Mark is going to point that out to us. Jesus has got the ability to change people's lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Mark records John's words so that we'll be ready to meet an uncommon person. Watch in the coming weeks how this unfolds. This Jesus who's got incredible power, unparalleled honor, and by His Spirit He can change our lives. I'm not sure if you've ever seen the movie The Rabbit Proof Fence. It was an Australian film that tells the true story of three Aborigine girls uh, that were removed from their home in Gigalong, um, Western Australia, back in 1931. Um, there were the sisters Molly and Daisy and then their cousin Gracie, and they were half-castes, meaning their dad was white, but their mom was an Aborigine. And back then, the law allowed the removal of half-caste children from their homes anywhere in the state and to be placed in then residential schools. And what they were doing is that the fairer-skinned ones would be educated and then married off to uh, white husbands, and then the grandchildren of these unions would be seen as white, and what that would do is eliminate a third race. They thought that was the appropriate thing to do. So these three girls were literally ripped from their mother and grandmother's arms, transported by train, by truck, sometimes they were even caged, to a school in a town called Moore River. They were placed in a dorm with dozens of other half-caste girls, and they began to experience a very prison-like existence in that school. And half-castes that tried to escape and were caught were severely punished. Well, one day with a storm on the horizon, Molly decides to run away with her sister and her cousin, hoping that the rain that was going to come would kind of wipe out their tracks. 
so the girls must not only evade capture, but find the resources and the directions on how to return home. Now, this is where the title of the movie comes into play, because a key to their success was the rabbit-proof fence. It is a 1,500-mile structure, the longest fence in the world, and it was built to keep the plague of rabbits from getting over into the good farmland. One line of the fence ran right through Gigalong, their, their hometown. But they had to find the fence. Then they had to follow it doggedly, eluding trackers, police, and other people that were trying to find them. Well, in their journey, Gracie, the cousin, is caught and returned to Moore River. The two sisters continue on several more weeks through wilderness, through a desert where they almost died. But following the fence, they joyfully are reunited with their mother and grandmother who then hide them in their home. In their amazing journey, these girls walked for nine weeks, covered 1,200 miles. Now, amazingly and incredibly, Molly later in life is caught again, but by now she's got her own children. She's returned to Moore River, where she once again escapes, makes the same journey home, this time, though, carrying a baby with her. (laughs) Why do I tell you that story? Because I believe that some of you are here, and you've got this sneaking suspicion that there is something inside you that's imprisoned. I guess I just want to say that it's time to take a road trip. It's time to take a journey out into the wilderness. And if you'll go, you'll end up where you've always wanted to be. Home. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would, in these coming weeks, help me, help my brothers and sisters here to see the real Jesus. Father, some of us, we admit, we're coming from a, a void about knowing you or a vague sense of it or a vandalized sense of it, and we want a vivid sense of it. And so, Father, I I just want to have the audacity to pray something, and that is in these coming Sunday mornings, would you ambush us? Would you open our eyes and open up our hearts to that which we've never ever had before, and that is a personal encounter with Jesus, as Mark intended for us to have. But we're going to need to do what John invites us to do. And that has come into an uncomfortable situation. We're going to have to be willing to go outside our comfort zone. And I don't know what that means for each person here, but I pray we'd be willing to do that, step out into the wilderness. I pray that we would do the work of that unsettling preparation, that heart work of maybe where our pride has held you at a distance, kept you away, and we need to confess that and ask for your forgiveness. Father, thank you that you will give us your forgiveness if we ask it. And then, Father, I pray that you would build a holy expectancy that we're going to be introduced to an uncommon person. Father, may we allow Mark to take us on 
His root. Not the root maybe we want, but His root. Because the divinely inspired pages of our Bible are going to lead us right where we need to go, to hear what we need to hear, to see what we need to see as we watch what's described for us. So, Father, I pray that would change my life. pray that would change my brother's and sister's life each week, just Sunday by Sunday, that you would just build and do something powerful inside of us. And that's why I pray, come ambush us. Do what we don't expect. Leave us in amazement of you. So, Father, that's our prayer this morning. And we dare to ask it in the name of your Son, Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www dot rancho baptist church dot org that's www dot rancho baptist church dot org have a great day in the lord and god bless you as you continue to walk with him <laughs>